It came as a joyous daybreak to end the long night of their captivity. But 100 years later, the Negro still is not free. 100 years later, the life of the Negro is still sadly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. 100 years later, the Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. That's your boy, man. Martin Luther King Jr. <sighs> Today is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And I almost started this as a MLK Day lesson. But, you know, upon doing research on, on my man's I figured I'd take this opportunity to look at the so-called black community's leader. And I don't have a problem with him because I think he had a good heart. But he wasn't perfect and he had flaws. You know, some of the things he did weren't so far off from Bill Clinton or Donald Trump. Um, Martin Luther King Jr. was extremely popular in his time. And he was a great speaker. People wanted to see him. And they wanted to hear him speak. People took advantage of him, and he took advantage of others as well. He was a human, and he made mistakes, but I do think he had a good heart. See, at birth, his real name was actually Michael. His father changed their names when he went on a retreat to Europe visiting various countries. Uh, Germany being one of those countries, uh, he learned of Martin Luther's Protestant Reformation of the Catholic Church, and he wanted to follow his footsteps. See, it amazes me when I hear that MLK wasn't trying to be a leader because he really was. Um, and he was success he was successful at an early age. Um, dude graduated high school at 15. He was on the debate team and he won various speaking awards. His father knew his potential at a very young age. Uh, Martin Luther King Sr. was a Baptist minister. Um, and an early civil rights activist as well. Uh, interesting enough, um, his father was a hardworking sharecropper who married his wife and nine kids, who had nine kids. Um, it was said that his father, you know, James Albert King, was half Irish and had an accent. Um, so his son had an accent, which in turn gave Martin Luther King Jr. his accent, allegedly. Uh, anyways... Martin Luther King Sr. was head of the NAA, I was about to say NCAA, the NAACP uh, chapter in Atlanta. He led his own church and he led other civil rights organizations. And he put his son around these people at a very young age. I'm sure he didn't think he, um, he would surpass him, though. But I will say this you have to pay very, very close attention to these pastors and preachers. Preachers. Idol worship and material worship or any veneration is a no-no. 
If you walk into a church and you see paintings and or statues of so-called Jesus and or Mary, they're lying. Those are pagan gods that they're worshiping. Those creation stories also lead uh, uh, lead to fathers either killing their sons or sons killing their fathers over power. When you worship or venerate that kind of stuff, it tends to follow you. Not saying Martin Luther King Sr. was a pagan preacher, but I'm not putting that past anybody. Anyways, Martin Luther King Jr. graduated college at 19 from Morehouse. Imagine that. He's a graduate, and he decides to go to theologian school. Now, you should all go read and learn about theologian school, and basically, um, he has a better understanding of the Bible than you know, the rest of us. Um, and while he was in Pennsylvania, he fell madly in love, um, you know, with a white girl, which was a huge no-no since, you know, uh, but since he was a man of God and it wasn't that he was much, I don't think he was in love, but, you know, I think he just really loved this woman. And, um, but his fathers and his advisors, you know, they weren't going for that. And they said, no, not no, but hell no. Um, <coughs> you can't be with this woman. And, you know, this hurt him. Like, he, they said that he really never recovered. Um, so you got to see, like, by this time, race hustling was becoming big business. So, you know, at this, he, he understood that race didn't really matter. Um, or that was his understanding at that point in time, but, you know, and he's in love with this white woman. He's going to this predominantly white school, um, coming from Morehouse, which is a black school, then going to, um, this school in Pennsylvania, which is a white school. Um, you know, he, his understanding of people is just a lot different. Um, so, you know, if you wanted to profit from it, you had to align yourself with the right with the right people. Uh, you had the pro blacks at the time who you know would scream black power. You had the liberal blacks who weren't as militant as the pro blacks, but um, then you had the conservative blacks who were American first and wanted to see people have opportunities and not uh, people. All people have opportunities, and um, all people have the opportunity to create their own opportunities. Uh, the pro-blacks were the hustlers. Uh, they told everyone that whites were the enemies and racism is the reason why your life isn't prosperous as it could be. Civil rights was nothing but blacks begging for things that whites had. From 1870 to 1940, blacks had their own businesses, bought, bought land, got married, had children while they were married, built schools, built up their communities. But in the last 80 years, we've stopped that and started to feel like we were entitled to what so-called white people have. And that's why pro-blacks in the civil rights movement at large started to rub elbows with the communists in the so- and the Soviet Union. <laughs> now back to Dr. King. He was at a predominantly white school in Pennsylvania and he became class president. Somebody please tell me how racism stopped him from being um, student body president. Well, at this school, he had a partner from Morehouse that came a semester later. And at Morehouse, they used to throw these wild parties when Mama and Daddy King were gone. Daddy King caught them a couple times. And I call him Daddy King not because he was 
uh, Martin Luther King's daddy, but that's what the whole uh, neighborhood used to call him. They used to call him Daddy King. Daddy King was was a pillar in the community, like Wizard Kelly. And these weren't just little kickbacks, uh, you know, girls holding up the wall. These were like modern-day twerk fests. Remember, they're 15 at Morehouse. And, well, his friend was 21 and a, and a freaking army vet. Uh, so while they're in seminar school at an all-white school, they up there turning up, playing pools, smoking weed, allegedly, and drinking uh, in the basements. They used to call themselves the Wreckers because they used to wreck girls. <laughs> um, by the time he was 26, though, um, he was already about to finish his PhD at Boston. Um, three degrees under 30. His father pushed him through everything. He helped him tremendously. I mean, I think he realized not, I, I think he realized not all people had, you know, that same father figure. I think, you know, his father really understood that, um, you know, if you can get through all this school and this stuff and get this respect, then you can, you can get out here and make a change. And I think that's, that's what he saw. And he wanted to take that role for people that didn't have that father. I true, I truly believe that he liked being a leader in the community. Um, but he loved white women, um, and it was a conundrum that he really couldn't figure out. His his people would not accept him um, for liking white women, um, you know. So he had to leave his he had to leave that white woman in in Pennsylvania, and not. Too so not long afterwards, he gets with Coretta, and they have three kids. Um, and Martin Luther preaches in, in Atlanta and Alabama, mostly you know, uh, mostly because stand up north, he gonna get caught up with the white girls. Um, and you know, he becomes very instrumental in the Montgomery boycott. Uh, you can see my left episode on that. Um, and that gives him notoriety. And after that, he starts the SCLC, which is what Black Lives Matter wished they could be. <laughs> See, the SCLC was backed up by uh, white liberals, um, communists, um, and they, you know, allegedly would uh, set up charities, you know, subsidy subsidiaries of their of the, you know, organization, set up charities, and that's how they would funnel their money. Um, and, you know, for their own personal use as well as use for, you know, the public, uh, doings that they were doing. Um, but allegedly they used to throw orgies, um, all in the name of civil rights. Uh, they tried to hide the connection between Stanley Livingston and Martin Luther King, uh, when in fact they were extremely close. Um, he ghost wrote most of King's speeches. And he decided uh, virtually every move uh, he did during his public speaking and, and appearances during the civil rights movement. Um, numerous accounts of them buying, or uh, I won't say numerous, but there are accounts of them buying prostitutes and strippers, as well, uh, <laughs> as, well as other uh, SCLC members involved in homosexual acts, Bayard Rustin. Um, and they had close ties with the Rockefellers. You know, and <clears throat> like I said before, Martin Luther King might not have uh, actually liked these people that were advising him, um, but he was advised by them nonetheless. Um, his image was planned, 
and they use his credentials and his credibility. Oh, well, they use his credentials as credibility, but he was really just a puppet. His whole life, people were telling him what to do. He never, uh, he never saw his death coming, but others did. And he was never able to dictate his own life. And that's the true sad part about his untimely death. Um, you know, I think there's more. There's definitely a lot that I didn't get to uh, to talk about with Martin Luther King. Um, uh, I think you guys definitely should go do your research. Um, but there was a lot going on between you know Martin Luther King, uh, his inner soul, his inner moral character, what he was speaking on. And um, what he put out um, and what others wanted him to put out, what his advisors wanted him to put out and what he, you know, often battled with himself is like, uh, was he doing the right thing or was he just, you know, doing things that people were telling him to do? And uh, he had to battle with that. He battled with that his whole life from his father pushing him into, um, you know, into this role. Um, and putting him in a position where he had to meet these people early. I mean, he was with um, Jewish leaders at 13 years old, uh, being advised by them. So there was a lot going on in his life, and I think you guys should read about it. Uh, there's countless, countless, countless biographies and auto, and he has you know autobiography and just people that just wrote about him and things like that. So go do your research. Um, my thing is, I don't believe in leaders. Uh, your leader should be the most high, um, respect people, what they do on this earth, obviously respect everyone, what they do for you. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, nobody can, <laughs> you can lead, you can be led to the water, but nobody can make you drink. So like I always say, 